Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the January 7th episode. That would be episode 129 of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I am Wayne Floyd, your host, and we've got another beautiful day this morning. Uh, It is the seventh day of the week, so we're going to go ahead and open with our seventh day morning prayer. Um, It's called God's Good Pleasure, so let's pray. Sovereign Lord, Thy will is supreme in heaven and earth, and all beings are creatures of thy power. Thou art the father of our spirits. Thy inspiration gives us understanding. Thy providence governs our lives. But, O God, we are sinners in thy sight. Thou hast judged us so, and if we deny it, we make thee a liar. Yet in Christ thou art reconciled to thy rebellious subjects. Give us the ear of faith to hear him, the eye of faith to see him, the hand of faith to receive him, the appetite of faith to feed upon him, that we might find in him light, riches, honor, eternal life. Thou art the inviting one. May we hearken to thee. The almighty instructor, teach us to live to thee. The light dweller, inaccessible to man and angels, hiding thyself behind the elements of creation, but known to us in Jesus. Possess our minds with the grandeur of thy (laughs) perfections, Thy love to us in Jesus is firm and changeless. Nothing can separate us from it, and in the enjoyment of it, nothing can make us miserable. Preserve us from hypocrisy and formality in religion. Enable us to remember what thou art and what we are, to recall thy holiness and our unworthiness. Help us to approach thee clothed with humility, for vanity, forwardness, insensibility, disorderly affection, backwardness to duty, proneness to evil are in our hearts. Let us never forget thy patience, wisdom, power, faithfulness, care, and never cease to respond to thy invitations. Amen. All right. And now our devotion for the morning of January 7th. Uh, the text for it is Philippians one twenty one, For me to live is Christ. The believer did not always live to Christ. He began to do so when God the Holy Spirit convinced him of sin, and when by grace he was brought to see the dying Savior making a propitiation for his guilt. From the moment of the new and celestial birth, the man begins to live to Christ. Jesus is to believers the one pearl of great price, for whom we are willing to part with all that we have. He has so completely won our love that it beats alone for him. To his glory we would live, and in defense of his gospel, we would die. He is the pattern of our life and the model after which we would sculpture, sorry, our character. Paul's words mean more than most men think. They imply that the aim and end of his life was Christ. Nay, his life itself was Christ. In the words of an ancient saint, he did eat and drink and sleep eternal life. Jesus was his very breath, the soul of his soul, 
the heart of his heart, the life of his life. Can you say as a professing Christian that you live up to this idea? Can you honestly say that for you to live is Christ? Your business, are you doing it for Christ? Is it not done for self-aggrandizement and for family advantage? Do you ask, is that a mean reason? For the Christian it is. He professes to live for Christ. How can he live for another object without committing a spiritual adultery? Many there are who carry out this principle in some measure. But who is there that dare say that he hath lived wholly for Christ as the apostle did? Yet this alone is the true life of a Christian. Its source, its sustenance, its fashion, its end, all gathered up in one word. Christ Jesus. Lord, accept me. I here present myself praying to live only in thee and to thee. Let me be as the bullock which stands between the plow and the altar, to work or to be sacrificed, and let my motto be, ready for either. Wow. Definitely a powerful devotion there for um, this morning, um, January 7th. All right. And we're going to start our reading today in Genesis 16. Oh, I needed to swap something over. Hang on a second. Um, wanted to remind you again that we are reading through a new Read the Bible in a Year plan. Um, and the link to it is in the show notes. But there is, I did also leave the link there for McShane's Bible reading plan. I would encourage you to use that for your own reading outside of listening to this. And I would share that with you because I still read through that one every morning as well. Um, but I would definitely encourage you to do both, to do that and then read along with me in this one. So we're going to read Genesis 16 through, I believe it's Genesis 18, verse 15 this morning. So Genesis 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian servant woman whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, Yahweh has shut my womb from bearing children. Please go in to my servant woman. Perhaps I will attain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. And after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar, the Egyptian, well, her servant woman, and gave her to her husband Abram as his wife. So he went in to Hagar, and she conceived. Then she saw that she had conceived, so her mistress became contemptible in her sight. Now Sarai said to Abram, May the violence done to me be upon you. I gave my servant woman into your embrace. But she saw that she had conceived, so I became contemptible in her sight. May Yahweh judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant woman is in your hand. Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarai afflicted her, and she fled from her presence. Now the angel of Yahweh found her by a spring of water. Oh, I'm sorry. By a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's servant woman, where have you come from, and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. Then the angel of Yahweh said to her, Return to your mistress, and humble yourself under her hands. Moreover, the angel of Yahweh said to her, I will greatly multiply your seed, so that they will be too many to be counted. And the angel of Yahweh said to her further, Behold, you are with child, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because Yahweh has heard your affliction. And he will be a wild donkey of a man. 
His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him, and he will dwell in the face of all his brothers. Then she called the name of Yahweh who spoke to her, You are a God who sees. For she said, Have I even remained alive here after seeing him? Therefore the well was called Bir Laha Roy. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Now Abram was eighty-six years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. Genesis 17 Now it happened that when Abram was ninety-nine years old, Yahweh appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, so that I may confirm my covenant between me and you, and that I may multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God spoke with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations, and no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. And I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will go forth from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your seed after you throughout their generations, for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your seed after you. And I will give to you and to your seed after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God said further to Abraham, Now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your seed after you throughout their generation. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you, and your seed after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations, one who is born in the house of one who is brought with, or one who is bought with money from any foreigner who is not of your seed. A servant who is born in your house or who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. Thus shall my covenant be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. But an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her, and indeed I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face, and laughed, and said in his heart, Will a son be born to a man one hundred years old? And will Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a son? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. But God said, No, but Sarah your wife will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his seed after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall become the father of twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next year. So he finished talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all who were born in his house, and all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's household, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the very same day, as God had spoken with him. Now Abraham was ninety-nine years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael his son was thirteen years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. 
In the very same day Abraham was circumcised, and Ishmael his son. Now all the men of his household who were born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. And Genesis 18. Sorry, hang on a minute. There we go. All right, and Genesis 18, verses 1 through 15. Then Yahweh appeared to him by the oak of, oaks of Mamre, while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing nearby. He saw, and he ran from the tent door to meet them, and he bowed himself to the earth. And he said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Please let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree. And let me bring a piece of bread, that you may refresh your hearts. After that you may pass on, since in such a manner you have passed by your servant. And they said, So you shall do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, Hurry, prepare three three seahs of fine flour, knead it, and make bread cakes. Abraham her, um, sorry. Abraham also ran to the herd and took a tender and choice calf and gave it to his young man, and he hurried to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf which he had prepared and placed it before them, and he was standed, standing by them under the tree, and they ate. Then they said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? And he said, There in the tent. And he said, I will surely return to you at this time next year, and behold, Sarah your, your wife will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. And Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And Yahweh said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a son when I am so old? Is anything too difficult for Yahweh? At the appointed time I will return to you at, the at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Then Sarah denied it, however, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. All right. And now Matthew 6. Let me make sure of the verses. Yeah, Matthew 6, verses 1 through 24. Beware of doing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Therefore, when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be glorified by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you. I'm sorry, what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way: Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Now whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So, when if you, so then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. All right. Now, Psalm 7. A Shigion of David, which he sang to Yahweh concerning the words of Cush, a Benjamite. O Yahweh my God, in you I have taken refuge. Save me from all those who pursue me and deliver me, lest he tear my soul like a lion, rending me in pieces while there is none to deliver. O Yahweh my God, if I have done this, if there is injustice in my hands, if I have rewarded evil to him who is at peace with me, or have plundered my adversary without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it, and let him trample my life down to the ground, and cause my glory to dwell in the dust. Arise, O Yahweh, in your anger. Lift up yourself against the fury of my adversaries, and arouse yourself for me. You have appointed judgment. Let the congregation of the peoples encompass you, and over them return on high. Yahweh judges the peoples. Give injustice to me, O Yahweh, according to my righteous I'm sorry, give justice to me, O Yahweh, according to my righteousness and my integrity that is in me. O let the evil of the wicked come to an end, but establish the righteous, for the righteous God tests the hearts and minds. My shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, and a God who has indignation every day. If a man does not repent, he will sharpen his sword. He has bent his bow and prepared it. He has also prepared for himself deadly weapons. He makes his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, he travails with wickedness, and he conceives mischief and gives birth to falsehood. He has dug a pit and hollowed it out, and has fallen into the hole which he made. His mischief will return upon his own head, and his violence will depend, descend upon his own skull. I will give thanks to Yahweh according to his righteousness, and will sing praise to the name of Yahweh Most High. All right, and now, I'm sorry, I've got to track this across. This is what we're Proverbs 2, verse one through, verses 1 through 5. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, to make your, your ear pay attention to wisdom, incline your heart to discernment. 
For if you call out for understanding, give your voice for discernment. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of Yahweh and find the knowledge of God. All right, that is our reading for today for January 7th. Um, Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Uh, Our prayer from Valley of Vision for the closing of this morning segment is called Christ the Word. So obviously I would assume that is based on John 1. Let's pray. My Father, in a world of created changeable things, Christ in his word alone remain unshaken. O to forsake all creatures, to rest as a stone on him the foundation, to abide in him, be borne up by him. For all my mercies come through Christ, who has designed, purchased, promised, affected them. How sweet it is to be near him, the Lamb, filled with holy affections. When I sin against thee, I cross thy will, love, life, and have no comforter, no creature to go to. My sin is not so much this or that particular evil, but my continual separation, disunion, distance from thee, and having a loose spirit towards thee. But thou hast given me a present, Jesus thy Son, as mediator between thyself and my soul, as middleman who in a pit holds both him below and him above. For only he can span the chasm breached by sin and satisfy divine justice. May I always lay hold upon this mediator as a realized object of faith and alone worthy by his love to bridge the gulf. Let me know that he is dear to me by his word. I am one with him by the word on his part and by faith on mine. If I oppose the word, I oppose my Lord when he is most near. If I receive the word, I receive my Lord wherein he is nigh. O thou who hast the hearts of all men in thine hand, form my heart according to the word, according to the image of thy Son. So shall Christ the word and his word be my strength and comfort. Amen. Well, all right, that is our morning segment for Saturday, January 7th. I hope you have a wonderful day today. As I always implore you, go out and do all that you do for the glory of God. And God willing, I will see you this evening. Have a great day. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the uh, January 7th, Saturday, January 7th. Uh, That would be episode 129 of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. Um, This evening, we're going to go ahead and continue with our study in John 3. Um, Let's go ahead and get started Um, because it's Saturday evening. It's Lord's Day Eve. We're going to go ahead and open up this evening as we usually do with the Lord's Day Eve prayer. So let's pray. God of the passing hour. Another week has gone, and I have been preserved, in my going out, in my coming in. Thine has been the vigilance that has turned threatened evils aside. Thine the supplies that have nourished me. Thine the comforts that have indulged me. Thine the relations and friends that have delighted me. Thine the means of grace which have edified me. Thine the book which amidst all my enjoyments has told me that this is not my rest. That in all successes one thing alone is needful, to love my Savior. Nothing can equal the number of thy mercies, but my imperfections and sins. 
These, O God, I will neither conceal nor palliate, but confess with a broken heart. In what condition would secret reviews of my life leave me, were it not for the assurance that with thee there is plenteous redemption, that thou art a forgiving God, that thou mayest be feared? While I hope for pardon through the blood or of the cross, I pray to be clothed with humility, to be quickened in thy way, to be more devoted to thee, to keep the end of my life in view, to be cured of the folly of delay and indecision, to know how frail I am, to number my days and apply my heart unto wisdom. Amen. All right. And now our evening devotion, the song or the text for it is uh, Song of Solomon, or as I call it, Song of Songs. 4 verse 12 my sister my spouse observe the sweet titles which with the heavenly solomon with intense affection addresses his bride the church my sister one near to me by ties of nature partaker of the same sympathies my spouse nearest and dearest united to me by the tenderest bands of love my sweet companion part of my own self my sister by my incarnation which makes me bone of thy bone and flesh of thy flesh my spouse by heavenly betrothal in which i have espoused thee unto myself in righteousness my sister whom i knew of old and over whom i watched from her earliest infancy my spouse taken from among the daughters embraced by arms of love and affianced unto me for ever see how true it is that our royal kinsman is not ashamed of us for he dwells with manifest delight upon this twofold relationship. We have the word my twice in our version, as if Christ dwelt with rapture on his possession of his church. His delights were with the sons of men, because those sons of men were his own chosen ones. He, the shepherd, sought the sheep, because they were his sheep. He has gone about to seek and to save that which was lost, because that which was lost was his long was his long before it was lost to itself or lost to him. The church is the exclusive portion of her Lord. None else may claim a partnership to pretend to share her love. Jesus, thy church delights to have it so. Let every believing soul drink solace out of these wells. Soul, Christ is near to thee in ties of relationship. Christ is dear to thee in bonds of marriage, marriage union, and thou art dear to him. Behold, he grasped both of thy hands with both his own, saying, My sister, my spouse. Mark the two sacred holdfasts by which thy Lord gets such a double hold of thee that he neither can nor will ever let thee go. Be not, O beloved, slow to return the hallowed flame of his love. All right. Like I said, we're going to continue our study in uh, John 3. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read through... Um, all of the text of this section, we're going to be dealing with the last four verses of it, but I'm going to read all of this. We're going to, I'm going to read John 3, verses 11 through 21, and our key text is 18 through 21. So, starting in John 3, verse 11, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness of what we have seen, and you do not accept our witness. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, 
that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, so that his deeds may be manifested as having been done by God. All right. So we've talked about that this whole section through here um, basically could fit under the heading, the true meaning of salvation. And we've talked about the issue of unbelief a couple of nights ago, and then the answer for unbelief, which is salvation, last evening. So tonight we're dealing with in verses 18 through 21, the consequences of belief and unbelief, the consequences of unbelief, but also the consequences of belief. So I want to reread verses 18 through 21, because those are our focus verses for tonight. So uh, John three, verse 18, he who believes in him is not judged, but I'm sorry. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, so that his deeds may be manifested as having been done by God. So, like I said, we're addressing the consequences of, of unbelief and of belief. And verse 18 directly, direct, directly addresses this. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. So please don't get confused. I know verse 17 speaks of not judging and then verse 18 talks of being judged already. But the indication here is that the one who truly believes, the one that has true saving faith in Jesus Christ, will not be judged as Christ has already paid the price for our sins, basically when we come to the final judgment, what is spoken of in Revelation, Christ will be standing behind beside us as our advocate, and therefore we will not have to face judgment. But it goes on to say that those who choose not to believe, this verse, verse 18, that those who choose not to believe have been judged already by their sins and by God. John 5, 24. Truly, truly, again, think of that, truly, truly, I've said it before, stand up and take notice because this is God's truth. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me, that would be God, has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. Again, speaking of that judgment, and this is Jesus um, there, there in John 5. This is, um, if I remember right, this is after he's healed the man at the pool of Bethesda, and he's making a testimony for himself. You know, we've talked about John the Baptist, and we'll see again John the Baptist testifying about Jesus, but this is Jesus himself testifying about his deity and showing these Pharisees. This is before um, the Jewish leadership in John 5 and pointing out very clearly that he who hears my word, meaning he who hears Jesus's word and believes God who sent him 
will have eternal life and does not come into judgment, but he has passed out of death into life, meaning eternal life. But again, so I, I back in my, my point where I said that those who choose not to believe have been judged already by their sins and by God, meaning they're, they're already slated to face judgment. And notice I've used the word choose. Please don't ever believe and hang on to the idea that people inadvertently or accidentally or are forcefully placed into a state of unbelief. They choose it. And, and please understand, I'm not talking about those who have not yet come to saving faith. I'm talking about those who will never come to saving faith. Please understand that outside of the grace of God, no matter what's presented to us, you and I will choose the darkness every time. You and I will choose not to believe every time. You and I do not have the ability to choose to believe outside of the work of the Holy Spirit to regenerate us and make us capable of doing that. Jesus makes clear here that the consequence makes clear here the consequences of both belief and unbelief. In believing, we are not judged, and um, I don't think he says it here, but in other places, we will have eternal life. But in not believing, we've been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God, because that person has not. And then he goes on to speak of the judgment and clarifies um, in verse 19. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. Light came into the world. That light is Jesus Christ. However, men love the darkness rather than the light. Proverbs one twenty nine, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of Yahweh. That's loving the darkness rather than the light. Um, John 7, 7. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I bear witness about it, that its deeds are evil. Basically, it was saying the world cannot hate you without hating me because it, I bear witness about it. And then they were bearing witness, this was to the apostles, that its deeds are evil. He's pointing out their darkness and they hate him. Uh, Psalm 14, one through three, the wicked fool says in, an heart, says in his heart, there is no God. They act corruptly. They commit abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. Yahweh looks down from heaven upon the son, sons of men to see if there is anyone who has insight, anyone who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. Altogether, they have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Again, making very, very clear, men love the darkness, not the light. Men love the darkness because it hides their deeds. It goes that way and say that. Um, Men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. And it goes on in verse 20 there. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds be exposed. Think about it. Um, one, of, one of the biggest security um, devices that people will put on their houses are spotlights. Um, I know my wife and I have front lights and back lights out on our porch, and we do it specifically to light up around our house. Because when you are trying to do sneaky, underhanded things, you don't want to be seen. So the more we light up around our house, the less likely it is. And, you know, that's why a lot of people, they put those motion, motion sensitive ones that are going to surprise the heck out of, you know, out of, out of a burglar, out of somebody trying to break into a house or vandalize or whatever. Because the minute that light goes on, gone, gone like a flash. 
That's the light of Christ. That light exposes the evil. It exposes their evil like like those spotlights, especially like those. I mean, Christ is like that, like that um, motion sensitive light. You come over and you start doing evil, poof, it pops on and it's going to light it up. Um, Ephesians 5.13, but all things become visible when they are exposed by the light for everything that becomes visible is light, meaning that everything that, that stays visible is light, but everything that tries to hide is darkness. Evil is darkness and we choose darkness outside of the grace of God. We choose darkness. We want darkness rather than the light. We want that more than anything outside of the grace of God. We do not have the ability outside of the grace of God to choose the light. This is what he's talking about. And that is the consequences of sin that we will turn and run from Christ. And, you know, like um, Spurgeon was talking about Christ being the mediator between man and God in that, um, I think it was the morning devotion. Um, oh no, it was the prayer. I don't know. Anyway. Oh no, it was the Christ, the word. It was the prayer, the closing prayer from this morning segment. Christ is that mediator, but we keep wanting to run the other way and want to ignore the mediator. We don't want to, we don't want any help in communication with God. We want to be left alone to wallow in our sin and our depravity and our disgust. And I'm I'm not trying to bash bash you. Uh, Of course, I'm preaching to the choir here. I'm preaching to myself because I, I, I want to hide mine as much as you want to hide yours. Okay. I'm not saying anything to you that I'm not saying to myself. But that, that's our, that's our results. That that's the consequence of unbelief. We're judged. I mean, too many people sit there and go, oh yeah, it just doesn't matter. Yeah. I don't believe all that heaven stuff. I don't know. You know, and, or they joke about hell and they're like, oh yeah, hell will be a big old party. Yeah. I'll be looking for my friends there and you know, yada, yada, yada. It ain't going to be no party. All you got to do is go see the, um, or see, um, Jesus's story about um, the rich man and Lazarus, the, the, the poor man, the beggar, and how miserable the rich man is that he wants Lazarus, wants, um, I think it was Abraham, to have Lazarus come and just put a little bit of water on his lips because he's so miserable. That's hell. It's an eternity of that misery. It's an eternity of God's wrath. You do not want the consequences of unbelief, nor do I. Nor does any man. And the fact is, I love you too much to not tell you this, to tell you about hell, to tell you about the consequences and honestly, the reward, and this is in a negative sense, for our unbelief, if we are in true unbelief. And again, please understand, I'm not talking about the fact where a truly saved person stumbles here and there. I mean, honestly, there's times I struggle with unbelief. And it's not, it's not the kind of unbelief that Jesus is talking about here. It's the, it's the hitting a point where, where I don't trust Christ to handle what needs to be handled. I don't trust God to handle what needs to be handled, even though he has done so every time. And I have years and years of evidence of it. And I still struggle with that. That's not what we're talking about is the stumbling that we as Christians do in our walk of sanctification. What we're talking about is raw, blatant unbelief, either Christ didn't exist. Christ was not the son of God. Christ was not our savior. Christ is not that. Those are the kind of things. That's what we're talking about. And the consequences of that is the wrath of God. And we've been judged already. 
if that's where we're at. So I would beg you not to be there. But Jesus indicates that, that he who practices truth, he that does the will of God comes to the light. That is the consequence of belief. It's not that we want to, or we think about it, but we come, we can't help it. We must come to the light so that our deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. The true believer cannot help but manifest the true fruit to bring honor to a holy God. Um, think about James 2. Faith without works with debt is dead. If we are truly, truly believers, we won't be able to help but manifest godly works, as spoken of in Ephesians 2.10, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We won't be able to help but manifest those good works in the light so that they are exposed, not for honor for ourselves, but to bring glory to God. And those would be the consequences of belief. But Jesus makes clear in these verses that the true meaning of salvation by dealing with unbelief and in contradiction to, to, that, to, to it, belief, true belief, Jesus makes clear of that. And the true meaning is that God so loved this world as unworthy as it is that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that those who would believe in him would have eternal life. It's clear through these verses that this is the only way that someone will escape judgment. This is, the, this is the only thing. This is what fills that place in us that searches for God, even when we don't understand it and don't know it. Jesus is also making clear that while the new birth is of the Holy Spirit, he makes clear that salvation is of God through his son, Jesus Christ. And none of these are of men or can be manufactured by man. They can't be legislated. They can't be pushed. They can't be manufactured by generating an emotional response. And what he does through here, and as we've seen that he continues to do, we saw him do it um, in the first 10 verses of um, John 3, and he continues to do it. He completely destroys any grip Nicodemus might have on his man-made, manufactured, self-righteous religion. And he destroys that for us. And, and that's good. These verses should also destroy any any death grip, any any kind of hanging on, any vice grip kind of kind of grasp we might form in this world on the worldly within our religion or anything else. Our grasping on to things that have nothing to do with it, our grasping on to idols, basically they're idols that we've created. Our trying to grasp onto anything else, whether it's psychology, sociology, philosophy, um, whatever it might be that we're trying to fill that hole with. Jesus Christ right here makes very, very clear that none of that, none of that will bring us to eternal life. None of that will bring us to salvation. None of that will save us from the wrath of God. Beloved, salvation is holy of God. We've got to let go of the things of this world. We must, as Matthew 6, 23 indicates, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Our whole focus must be on the things of God and on our salvation. We must come to a true saving faith in Christ, a true belief. 
We must look to him on the cross as he pays our debt and takes our punishment. And we must know and trust that in in him, in his name, we would have eternal life. Only in this does salvation come. And only in this do we avoid the wrath of God. That is the true meaning of salvation. And that is the crux of these 10 verses, 10, 11 verses. All right. Let's go ahead and close in prayer um, because it's the Saturday, our seventh day of the week. We're going to close with the seventh day evening prayer. It's called Future Blessings. Less, or Future Blessing. Excuse me, no S there. Let's pray. O Lord God, there is no blessing we implore, but thou art able to give, hast promised to give, hast given already to countless multitudes, all unworthy and guilty like ourselves. Make us willing to receive the supply of our need from thy bounty. To this end, convince us of sin. Soften our hard hearts to bewail our folly and gratitude, pride, unbelief, rebellion, corruption. Through the law, may we die to the law. Then look with wonder, submission, delight to the provision thou hast made for the glory of thy name and the salvation of sinners. Give us a hope that makes us not ashamed a love that excites to holy obedience, a joy in thee that is our strength, a faith in thy Son who loved us and died for us. May we persevere in duty when not fully conscious of thee, wait upon thee and keep thy way. Be humble and earnest suppliance at thy feet. Live continually as on the brink of eternity. Let us be at thy disposal for the duties and events of life. Submit our preferences to thy wisdom and will. Resign our enjoyments if thou shouldst require it, as our absolute proprietor and best friend. In our unworthiness and provocations, make us grateful for the means of grace and the ordinances of religion, and teach us to profit by them more than we have done. Help us to be in the Spirit on the Lord's day, to enter upon the Sabbath mindful of its solemnities, duties, privileges, setting all things worldly aside while we worship thee. May we know the blessedness of men, whose strength is in thee, and in whose hearts are the highways to heaven. Amen. All right. Well, I hope our time together today between our reading in the morning session and this this small message here in the evening session um, has been edifying to you, that it has edified you, that it has equipped you, um, that it has convicted you, that it has made you think, made you dig deeper. Um, I hope you have a wonderful evening, and God willing, I will see you tomorrow morning. Have a good night. God bless.